No. <laughs> Hello, my name is John Getz, and welcome to another episode of GNL Voice. And today we have uh, the pleasure of talking with Corey White. He is the founder and chief experience officer for Cyvatar. And Corey has about you know a quarter quarter of a dec or quarter of a century's worth of experience in a variety of verticals, you know, defense, technology, government, infrastructure, automotive, finance, health, manufacturing, and now gaming and hospitality. And many of you may have met Corey at our most recent GNL roundtable back in October. So Corey, welcome to GNL Voice. Thank you, John. Appreciate you having me. This is going to be fun. Yes, it will be. You know, Corey, I was looking at your bio and I have a, a question before we get into things. And that's just, you know, I noticed a couple acronyms after your name, CISSP and CISM. What do those mean? Yeah, interesting story. So back when um, I first started, actually 28 years ago, um, you couldn't learn cybersecurity in school. Right. So when I graduated in 1995 and and started working, the Internet came out roughly 1995. Right. So all the stuff I was taught in school, COBOL programming and all that <laughs> stuff, <laughs> I never applied it. So here I am out there working and I had to learn the Internet. And so um, one of the best ways to learn it was to get certifications because your degree didn't really mean anything because you didn't learn anything. There. Yep. So yeah. I went, I got certifications. And the CISSP is the number one certification for cybersecurity professionals. And in the late 90s, it was a big deal to get that. And so I think I got mine in, in 1999-ish, okay? And, and so and then the, uh, I got about three years later, I got the CISM, um, Certified Information Security Manager, but it teaches you how to manage cybersecurity programs. Um, and so those were those are my schooling. Those my 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 training. That's how I learned, you know, cybersecurity. All in all, I had fourteen different cybersecurity um, certifications over wow. the years. Um, it's almost yeah, it's impossible to maintain them. Um, so that's <laughs> why I only keep like one or two. Uh, but you know, I had to learn a lot, and and that's how I got to build up my knowledge. Yeah, I know when I went to college, you know, the internet wasn't even a pipe dream. It wasn't even, you know, a word that was used. I mean, we I would learn Fortran and Pascal and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. it, um, but, you know, today we're going to talk about cybersecurity and how it affects the gaming and hospitality industry. And specifically, um, you know, when we were talking before the interview uh, a week or so ago, we were talking about some of the new regulations that the, the Nevada Gaming Commission recently proposed and adopted back in December of last year and how they affect the industry. Now, you know, I'm going to kind of read the, the, the words of the language here. It says, gaming operators must take all appropriate steps to secure and protect the information systems from the ongoing threat of attack. So what does... You know, the, the words mean one thing, but what does it really mean to the industry and 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 Cyvatar? Yeah, if you, it's, it's interesting that they're not specific. And I, I get it, right? Their first kind of requirement is to go out and get your own risk assessment, um, figure out what standards you're, you're going to base your program off of, and then start implementing it. So I think this, that's the first step into making requirements. I think what we're going to start seeing is it getting more stringent every single year um, to where they actually 
are requiring certain activities to be done. And so um, what we've done at, at Cybertar to meet those requirements is we've made it really simple because um, the worst, number one thing they ask for is do a risk assessment. And that's very generic, but in our platform and for free, we offer a risk assessment. So you can just see where your gaps are. And then our gaps are based upon best practices and we use a simple standard of the CIS, the Center for Internet Security. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good baseline that a company can use. Uh, but there are others that are way more stringent, like you have the NIST 800, you know, that's 53. Um, you have the ISO uh, 27002. Those are more stringent and more detailed, but and it's a lot, you know, to, to get done. So I think it's a very good um, thing that the Nevada Gaming you know, Commission is actually requiring this to get started because at least it gets people thinking about it. So it's the first step. Yeah, I was reading more on the regulation. And I have I have multiple screens up here, so you might see me looking over at my other screen. And it, it you know, this specifically targets group group one licenses, and it says that you have to designate a qualified individual to be responsible for developing, implementing, and in, in overseeing and enforcing the cybersecurity best practices at the organization. So what? What kind of background does a, a, a casino or hotel need um, to be able to have a person like that? And does it have to be an FTE or can it be a contractor? Or do you know some of the, what they're intending that to be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's pretty consistent. Um, the one that comes to mind is um, uh, GDPR. Um, um, and what they require with that is a, a data privacy officer, um, but someone that is responsible for the security of an organization. And that could be outsourced. It could be insourced. I think the easiest way is to uh, have a contractor or a virtual CISO to, to be responsible for it. Because if you go and hire someone, maybe you're not that big where you need to have a full security team. Um, or maybe you hire that one person and, and as, a, as a CISO, and then they outsource the rest of the activities. Because if you listen to what they're asking, it's a two-step process. One, to have somebody responsible, but then two, to implement the proper controls, okay? So um, those are two separate activities. So you need to hire someone or outsource it to a virtual CISO that takes care of one. The second, which is the hardest, is implementing the proper controls. And I'll give you in just some examples of what yeah. proper controls look like. Um, so um, what in Savitar world, we call them preventative controls, right? And so I, I want people to think about it from the perspective of a preventative control is think about your car. It's putting on a seatbelt, right? You know, it is having a third brake light. It is having car seats. Those are preventative controls. And cybersecurity, if you only have detection-based controls, then the, what you're saying is we're okay getting hacked because we're going to detect that they, that hack happens and then stop bad activity, which has been proven to not be the case. Um, last year, the number of successful attacks increased 27% wow. over the previous year. Okay, so uh, detection-based controls is not working, obviously. So you got to have preventative controls. So an example of that is you think about antivirus. Well, antivirus came out in 1987 um, um, originally. Okay, so it's a very old signature-based technology mm -hmm. where you're just 
a pattern, right? Um, I'm gonna give you a little hint and the hint to the viewers or listeners, the hackers know how to bypass that. Okay. <laughs> usually, and usually the updates to that, that those virus things, it, they happen after the attack. It's like, you know. Exactly. Exactly. I spent 14 years working at um, antivirus companies. Um, and originally I was at McAfee, then I went to a company called um, um, Silence, and, and we, I was one of the founding executives there. And we use um, artificial intelligence. And so I know exactly how it works. So if you think about it, antivirus uses signatures. So um, what happens is, to your point, one realizes that there's a new piece of malware out there, and then somebody reports it, then they create a signature to match that. So the next time you see it, it blocks it. So what the hackers do is that every single time they create a new piece of malware, malware which is trivial, um, they just change it. And so the signature, the hash doesn't match anymore. And so there's a brand new piece of malware. And mm -hmm. so you basically always going to be successful and bypass that legacy approach. Yeah. Now, newer type of antivirus, next generation AI-based antivirus, which every single company should have, actually um, has the ability to look inside of the executable and figure out, ah, this has um, properties that are consistent with ransomware, that are consistent with key loggers, are consistent consistent with um, you know, any kind of info stealer activity, which is very, very different from Microsoft.excel.exe, you know, right? You know, those are digitally signed by Microsoft and there's a very clean look to them. Malicious files don't look like that at all. So an artificial intelligent um, solution can easily detect that this is malware. Now here's where we go wrong. And this is the last piece that I think is very important. So when we talk about preventative controls, if you Google and look at cybersecurity, you'll see a lot of companies offering detect and respond, meaning managed detection response, uh, so MDR, and then EDR, endpoint detection and response. What they're saying is they may get the best of breed anti-malware solution, install it on all of your computers, but they'll only configure it to monitor and detect after something's happened. They won't actually configure it to block the, the ransomware attacks. So mind you, that's why the attack increased 27%. Even if you are using the best of breed, these companies are only monitoring and not preventing. And so that's why these attacks are happening. So we're yeah. calling on multiple. Um, I, I have several email addresses and, and uh, you know, one of the, the things I do is I, I write books. So I have a, an email address I use with my name in it. And it, it happened in, I think it was early December. I went on to my phone and, and I couldn't connect to that, to that mailbox. And uh, so I thought it was my phone. I rebooted it five times. I checked my iPad, still nothing. So I went online and, and evidently the, this company had been hit by a ransom um, attack, a ransomware attack. They were down for about two weeks before they started allowing or being able to get some of their customers back online with their mail systems. Um, I was just you know, one person, so I was trivial to them. So I, I switched, but um, those, it, like I said, it brought down their mail, their, their products to their customers, zero availability for about two weeks. And I've been online watching and they, it says due to legal, due to the legalities, we're not allowed to say what exactly happened, but they do admit that it was a ransomware attack. So it had, it virtually brought them to their knees and could that, how could something like that affect the industry and how can that be prevented? If at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, it absolutely can be prevented. And it, it's not actually that complicated. So um, let, let's walk through it. So when you think about a ransomware attack, let's be clear, this is not just malware that randomly got onto a system. It usually is a coordinated attack. Okay, so if they look at you know your company, say ABC Company or or you know casino whatever, they know that that you know they have money. Okay, and so ransomware is targeted at people that have money, whether it be you know fifty thousand dollars or whether it be uh, you know millions, but they're after money. So here's how they do it. Think about it like a business. Number one. If you aren't doing the basics from a, a cybersecurity perspective, meaning you know patching your systems on a consistent basis, now this is a, a pretty crazy stat. Last year in 2022, there were over 25,000 vulnerabilities released. Okay, wow. which um, translates into uh, about 68 new vulnerabilities per day. Okay, so if you're not consistently scanning for vulnerabilities and patching and remediating your, your vulnerabilities in, in your environment, then you're going to be vulnerable to a critical or high-risk vulnerability that can be exploited that a hacker can use to get onto your system. So let's just say, because I'm not picking on anyone, so I'll pick both. So both Microsoft and Apple had um, critical vulnerabilities across all of their systems where someone could launch an export and get onto those systems, okay? It happened to, to Microsoft in June. It happened to Apple in August, okay? Wow. And so, <laughs> so here's the thing. If you have not patched your, your systems, then a hacker can scan for those vulnerabilities and exploit, you launch an exploit because there's exploit toolkits out there. Um, to, and the next thing they know, they have a command prompt on your computer remote access into it. Okay. Once they have that, then they could, if they wanted to, they could simply just drop some ransomware malware or designed to evade whatever antivirus you have only detecting. And so it will not see it and it will not stop it. But that's not what they do in most cases. What they do is they get onto your system, they get admin access, they pillage through your network, they look and see, oh, okay, does John have any backups? Oh, he does. Oh, I have admin access. Let's disable his backups. Let's disable his backups for like a few weeks so that when I do drop the ransomware malware, then it actually will, uh, they actually got paid because they've been down for two weeks and they have no backup, mm -hmm. right? And so that's a specific target, um, um, a targeted approach that they do. Now, um, other things they could do is, well, let me get into his email. Okay, now this is um, getting into business um, email compromise as well as an option, because uh, this is how they make money. So I get into your email and I say, ah, okay, looks like every Tuesday at 10 a.m. they transfer a million dollars to, you know, ABC Bank. Okay, well, I've seen this happen for the last month or so because I'm looking at the email. You can go in and just forward the email off to some other um, account. That's why you absolutely have to have multi-factor authentication on everything. So you can look at the email and say, okay, now I know this was coming from Ted and Ted sends it every single time. Hey, here are the wire instructions. But what if I impersonate Ted and say, hey, John, we just come set up a new bank um, and uh, we're gonna need this transfer to go to this new bank account. Um, um, starting next week. And here's the new bank account information. Um, and it looks like it's come from him. It's it, He has all the information and background because they've been monitoring your email for weeks, sometimes months. And then you don't think anything of it. You make the transfer and then whatever it is, they've just transferred to another bank. The bank's responsibility is not to give that back to you because it's a valid transfer. 
Okay, and what they do is they go into the, the physical location of that bank, they withdraw the money right away, and then your money's gone. It's Nothing gone. you can do yeah. about it. So, yeah. so a, um, someone who's in that scenario, that attack, they could be monitoring you or have been infiltrated for a while and they're just watching things. And it, so it's not like they got in in the morning and then the, the ransom happens. It's like they've been, it sounds like they've been watching you for a while to figure out exactly where all of your pain points are and then they strike. Is that the way it works? Yeah, that's the way it typically works. So think about it, they are running a business. Um, there's this one particular company, I did an incident a few years ago where um, they finally called, called me and my team in Every single quarter, they got hit with another ransomware. And I finally explained to them, I said, this isn't a new ransomware. They have admin access into your network, and you paid it the first quarter. And so now they know they can basically get quarterly payments. It's really important <laughs> revenue, companies, right, out of you. They probably got 20 other companies that are doing the exact same thing, and you're using legacy anti-malware. You aren't using best practices in security. You're sitting duck. So yeah, so what, it happens all the time. What does an organization do, or, or how do, how they they contact you? Um, how do you remedy that? Um, yeah, it's actually, I, I say it's simple, um, but I, I do think it is. Uh, number one, you have to have multi-factor authentication across your whole organization. Period. Everything requires multi-factor, two-factor authentication. Okay, all the way down to um, there now with um, you take what happened to Uber where they, they kept saying, please reply, please accept, please. And they had multi-factor, but at the end of the day, the person just accepted. Well, what you can do is you can have a multi-factor show a number that you have to be looking at the screen to validate. That mm -hmm. way um, it, it, it helps, right? It helps prevent those type of uh, attacks. So that, that's number one. Number two, if you don't want to be hacked, don't have any critical or high-risk vulnerabilities. So patch all your vulnerabilities, especially external facing, okay? Now, the, the challenge that companies have run into in the last two or three years is because of the pandemic. It used to be you had your internal network and you had your external network, and that was it. Maybe you add in a little bit of the cloud. Well, now you have your internal, your external, you have the cloud, you have all of your remote systems all over the world, wherever your users may be sitting. And so it's completely distributed. So the attack surface has gotten much bigger. So it's much more for the hackers to hack into. Um, and you know, if someone's sitting at home and that's all they have is in their computer has access to all the systems and they're not using multi-factor <coughs> and they're not patching, and you don't have um, an endpoint security that is blocking, you know, next generation antivirus, then you are screwed as a company. You got to cover all those bases to actually secure yourself. So in simple, just to summarize, multi-factor, um, continuous scanning and patching. So a full vulnerability management program where you're remediating on a daily basis. Um, and then you need endpoint protection and blocking. Um, and then you can add on email security to block the phishing attacks from ever coming in. And then you also can add um, browser and DNS security. So the minute, say, if somebody clicks on it, it tries to go to some compromised domain and download malware because it's a compromised malicious domain. You don't get redirected there. It's blocked. So those are the fairly simple things to do to, to mm -hmm. stop these attacks. I say it's simple because I'm in the industry, but someone that's not in the industry, that's probably pretty damn complicated. Yeah. But that's, those are the things solve for our customers okay yeah it's it's interesting how things have evolved with the advent of the internet 
Um, and you mentioned you, you mentioned a title when we were first talking, and that's the CISO. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the Chief Information Security Officer, right? Yes. Okay. So I, I remember back in the day, you had your CEO, you had your CIO or, or CTO, you had your Chief Marketing Officer, your COO, but we didn't have a C, C, CISO back when I started working. Um, so all of the cybersecurity and info security and and has actually changed organizations or chart. And so when when we're talking about this new regulation that, that the Gaming Commission has adopted, how how does that affect the CISO? And is that person's job, or I'm sure it's his or her responsibility, but what if what if it's a smaller organization and they, they really don't have room for a CISO? How do the varying sizes um, manage that? Yeah. And how has these this the advent of cybersecurity and all of the attacks affected organizational change throughout, you know, for the past few years? Yeah, it definitely has evolved. Uh, one thing I will say about um, CISOs is that if you just Google around, there's a lot of articles and a lot of noise about um, CISOs are quitting, They're quitting the job. Why? Here's the deal. Yeah, it's um, a lot of CISO jobs out there, but it's very stressful. And the average tenure for a CISO is about 18 months. Wow. And so, yeah, um, because here's the deal. You you come into an organization, they have new you know requirements, Nevada gaming, they're like, well, you can handle security. Well, the company's never had anybody handle security before. Now, to actually properly do it right, you gotta have some kind of influence or say over what actually happens. But what ends up happening is that CISO they can't comes in new to that organization, that's never had a security team, they have no say. They don't report to the CEO in many cases, and they're reporting into IT and they're buried. And then so they can't actually affect the necessary change in the organization to get them secure, which creates a really frustrating position for the CISO. Now, here's another scenario. Think about it when a company actually gets hacked. Who do you think is responsible? The, the CISO. CISO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He didn't have the power to go and fix the things uh, anyway, but he's also, he or she is also the fall, fall person um, for it. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult job in most organizations because they don't give them the power to actually be successful in that job. What, uh, besides giving them the, the authority, what, what do you think would extend the longevity of a person in that role? Um, you know, how can that help? Yeah. How can... I've done um, um, a few um, public presentations on this, but here's how it breaks down. It's why it's so hard to be a CISO. You've got to have multiple personalities. And so you have to be a very strong technical person because otherwise, like the IT folks or somebody will try to pull the wool over your eyes. You, uh, you have to understand technology. Uh, secondly, you have to understand business. If you don't understand business, then that means you cannot go into a board meeting or an executive meeting and present from a non-technical perspective why you need to justify spending money on cybersecurity or whatever solution. If you go in and start talking technically, you will lose that whole yeah. audience. Yep. So you have to be able to speak to the business. And the third one, which again is, the, is probably the most difficult, is you have to be a politician. Okay. 
And, and, and anybody that's ever worked in any corporate environment, if you're not well-liked, if you haven't built relationships, um, you can't get anything done. And so here you are, the CISO, telling the whole organization you need to implement multi-factor authentication across every single application uh, period. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, they laugh at you. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Then the next thing you know, they're hacked. And then they're like, it's your fault. So it's a very difficult job to be a CISO in a brand new organization, uh, in, in an organization that is brand new to understanding security. How do, you know, not everyone can probably afford to have a CISO. So they just kind of ignore it. How do smaller organizations handle cybersecurity? Uh, to be honest with you, most of them are struggling. Um, to be, yeah, that's that's really the challenge for them. Uh, one of the reasons why why Savitar we built our, ourselves the way way we built ourselves is to really address that problem because we can go and build a whole security program and implement the controls that, that the company would need and do it faster than anyone else out there. And we target small to medium sized businesses because the larger ones they have a CISO, they have a security team. Now, arguably, I think we could probably do a better job because we're more efficient and have experts in every single yeah. area. But, you know, it doesn't make sense to go and fight the politics. You know, if they've got somebody supposedly uh, running their endpoint security or whatever, they may not know how to go through all the malware, but I can't come in and say, okay, remove that person and give that to our company. We'll get it done faster and cheaper. But the reality of it is we are faster and cheaper than hiring a CISO and with a guaranteed outcome within 90 days of being secure. And then we maintain that. So it's just, I feel like this is where the industry is going to evolve to. Um, what, what I equated to, you think about how, uh, I think you and I have probably been around for a while, but you think about it, and, you know, remember back in my day when I was a kid, I had to, I had to use eight track, you know, tapes. And, yes, and, eight and track, yep. tapes and, <laughs> Yeah, so. Uh, I'm a big uh, Prince fan, right? So at the end of the day, if I want to listen to some Purple Rain, I had to have a cassette tape or a DVD or, or, D, or CD or whatever. Well, now I can pick up my phone and just stream it and just listen to it on, on whatever, right? And so in cybersecurity, if you just wanted to get secure as fast as possible, how would you do it? You, you can't. And so what we built here at Savitar is in a subscription model, we bring in best of breed products and implement them so that a small company can get that outcome quickly. Because cybersecurity is about outcomes. It is not about, I bought this cool product that I don't know how to install yeah. and set up. I got a cool product, <laughs> right? Yeah, the, so that, the, that's where I see the industry. Yeah, it's more than just the latest, in upgrading the latest version of your antivirus software. Um, yeah. You know, I was... I was reading an, um, a white paper from IBM Security, and it had some interesting stats to it. And they they conducted roughly 3,600 interviews with companies uh, between March of 2021 and March of 2022. And 86% of the companies they talked to had at least one breach. And that breach, those breaches on average cost roughly $3 million to remediate. So when you talk, think about how much it costs to, to suffer that breach versus how much it costs to prevent that, I would think it, it's a no-brainer. Is that, is that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is a no-brainer, uh, except that it isn't. Here's the thing. Most companies, especially small to medium size. Um, they don't want to spend the money 
to begin with. So they're like, well, I don't want to have the investment in cybersecurity unless I have to. Now that's changing cybersecurity insurance. And, and on top of that, uh, compliance is driving that to, to actually happen faster. Uh, but the biggest challenge is I, I was talking to one of our, our uh, now customers explaining to them how we could get them secured. And she said, I didn't know I could afford cybersecurity. Now that I see that I actually can't afford that, I'm going to implement it. So that you have the other class of, you know, of people that you know know they need it, but don't think they can afford it, so they just ignore it and hope for the best, right? And so it's it's education needs to be done, and and just to be clear, all the big cybersecurity companies they don't focus on SMBs because you know the deal size isn't big enough, so they don't design mm -hmm. their solutions, they don't market to them, they completely ignore the SMB market, and so that's why. The largest group that's uh, attacked more than anything else is the SMBs. There's more SMBs out there than than Fortune 1000. It's only yeah. a thousand of, of those, <laughs> but it's literally hundreds of thousands of SMBs out there, and they all need security. And they're the ones that are being attacked. And according to the FBI, depending on what stat you look at, because nobody really reports all the, the the incidents, I've seen numbers anywhere from you know 250 to a thousand incidents per day happen. And so. With that many incidents happening, it, it backs up your stat of the percentage likelihood that a company will get compromised. Mm -hmm. But our stance is that you simply need to implement preventative controls and um, these attacks just won't happen. Uh, because what is, what is happening is the hackers are looking for low-hanging fruit. If I could scan the internet or send a phishing email to like hundreds of companies and you click on it and you don't have proper endpoint protection blocking malware, if you don't have multi-factor, then it's an easy attack. Yeah. And so that's what is happening to these companies. Yeah, um, I was I'm looking at the the Nevada Gaming Commission, um, the, the new regulation regarding cybersecurity, and it's pretty in, intensive. And if you are attacked, the you have to be reporting that to the Nevada Gaming Commission. And there looks like there's several several bullets here that are you know that are required if you're if you're attacked so to me the um, the amount of work that's needed to to do all of that reporting versus the amount of work that's needed to do the prevention outweighs one another um, and if you just do a, an ounce of prevention prevention you're going to be you know saving tons of money and heart heartburn in the back end having to do all of this reporting um, covered entities must investigate the cyber attack, prepare a report, document the results of the investigation, inform the board, provide a copy to the board, and and then there are probably a dozen more bullets be, beyond that of what that report must include. So um, the the gaming commission is is starting to pressure not pressure but uh, require organizations to do this. So it it's. It's becoming a requirement here. It, it needs to be a requirement. Um, and so think of it like this, right? I don't think anybody wants their car broken into. So we close and lock the doors, let out the windows when we leave it and walk into the mall or, or something like that, right? Now, the likelihood of us being a car being broken into um, goes down significantly if the windows are, are closed and doors are locked, you're good to go. But if your windows are down and your doors aren't locked, <laughs> what's the odds of you getting broken into? Yeah. And you think about the cost of, of repairing your car or, you know, reporting a stolen whatever, 
those are really high. So now let's parallel this to cybersecurity. So if you implemented multi-factor, if you implemented a vulnerability management program and patched the critical vulnerabilities, if you implemented endpoint protection and blocking and did all these best practices, then you don't have to worry about the, the incident because what's going to happen is they're gonna, there's another company that is less has less security, another casino that has less yeah. security than you do. And that's what they're going to go to. There's an old adage like, I don't have to uh, win the race. I just got one faster than you, John. And yeah, so, yep. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So, you know, multi-factor authentication sounds very daunting. Is it? Yes. Is it? Um, I don't think so, but I'm a cybersecurity professional. But <laughs> let me just, uh, let me make it simple. So um, if you have Gmail, okay, you can go and enable that with a click of a button. So pretty much all of these cloud-based applications, um, Office 365, uh, Gmail, um, you know, Salesforce, um, Slack, they all, you can enable it by default. So any cloud application that you're using, your bank, they have it by default. And it's just a matter of having it send a text message or, or something to you. And I know that a lot of cybersecurity professionals say, well, it can be spoofed. Yes, it can be. But if somebody is going through the level of effort to to spoof a text message and then then you're being targeted and there's a more sophisticated threat actor but again back to my point low-hanging fruit don't be that low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. the low-hanging fruit is not multi-factor uh implemented and, and if you have that implemented you're going to stop most of these attacks so that is not hard um then there are enterprise solutions um, that we implement that allow it to scale, right? You know, for, for our, our customers, then they have a dashboard where every single app, they log in and they get to that dashboard and then they can, you know, click, they, they log in once and they can click and access any of them. So it makes it more efficient uh, for an organization to have a multi-factor authentication application. And that's what we implement to maintain security. It's just where the world is. And I'll give you one last example. So I've done you know, hundreds of incident response engagements. And, and with these incident response engagements, um, imagine doing an incident response at a very large company that we probably use, and this has happened to me a few times. They call you in, you realize, well, I'm a customer of theirs, and your password has been compromised, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I want everybody to think about it this way. The hackers have your password, okay? Just think about your password's compromised. Uh, because um, what was happening is there have been thousands and thousands of breaches and thousands and thousands of passwords have been um, taken and the hackers have a database of all the passwords. So uh, they can easily get yours. They've gotten mine. So the password is irrelevant. I don't even think about it. I, I use yeah, a strong password, but I make sure multi-factors in place. Um, the other analogy I'll give you is that um, back in the 2000s, we used to have these really you know, expensive password cracking um, servers, right? Where we could again, get the hashes and crack the passwords, okay? And, and so the faster the computing power, the faster you could crack the password, correct? So in 2000, 2005, like we had multiple computers and you're cracking passwords. And then they invented this kind of cool thing called the cloud. Okay, and then processing power has gotten so much faster since 2005. Yeah. So we'll take us a week or whatever to crack a password that was a strong password can be cracked literally in seconds today. Okay, so strong passwords don't really help because they can be easily cracked back to the fact of why you need multi-factor authentication. Okay, so you're saying, saying my spreadsheet of all my passwords for all of my 
um, streaming services and all that is is pointless, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it is. <laughs> One of my techniques when I do penetration testing, I will once I get onto a computer um, or onto a network, I would just run a search for passwords and it, uh, file name passwords. And back in the day, companies <laughs> or people would have a file with all their passwords in it, and it wasn't even password protected. <laughs> I could crack the password and get access to all their passwords. So um, yeah, that's that's not a good idea. Yeah, I, I listened to a, a comedian once and he was talking about, yeah, now we have to use strong passwords and now everyone's password just ends with, with an exclamation point. That's the only change, so. <laughs> so um, Corey, we're, we're about, and you know, through with the time, what would be three things that you want our viewers to take away from what we talked about, about cybersecurity, you know, the regulations and what's being expected mm -hmm. of the, the industry now? Yeah. Yeah. It's really simple. Um, what I've been focusing on, um, in, in our business and making sure I educate the, 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 the community out there is, uh, the three outcomes that the company should be looking for is number one, implement preventative controls. And, and those are things like a vulnerability management program that actually patches and remediates. You do not want to have someone come in and say, we're going to monitor and send alerts. <laughs> That's equivalent to saying, again, your front door is wide open and my ring camera is going saying alert every time somebody <laughs> runs in the house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like so you need the door closed and locked okay so you need preventative controls uh number one and that is an outcome that can be measured meaning day one we had uh i'm making up numbers here 100 systems and across those systems they had a you know thousand pieces of malware after that's in preventative control all those systems have an endpoint protection um, that is blocking the malware from executing okay so that is preventative so when someone makes a mistake and clicks on a phishing email the ransomware does not encrypt okay so that's number one number two compliance and this ties to the the gaming um, requirements and uh compliance those preventative controls need to be mapped to compliance standards so you're following best practices and so that allows you you put the preventative controls in place then you can be compliant you can't be compliant without having proper controls what is happening across whether it be pci whether it be SOC 2 they require continuous cybersecurity. Not, oh, we checked the box, we got it done once, and then yeah. and see you next year. Yeah. You have to continually do it. Again, equivalent to continually closing, locking your door every single day. That's how we live everywhere else in our life. Why would we not do it with our cybersecurity? And then the last piece, um, as an outcome, the preventative controls allow you to get cybersecurity insurance. Okay, so what has happened um, historically we would go out, companies would go out and get insurance, and, you know, say 10 years ago, and the cybersecurity insurance, you know, very immature market uh, at the time, they're like, okay, here you go. The claim rate for insurance companies is, is 90 to 100 percent, okay, over time, to your stat earlier, right? So you get insurance, and if I'm an insurance company, and every single policy is paying out, I got a problem, right? Yeah, yep. <laughs> So um, what they're starting to do is, number one, they have to ensure that you have the proper preventative controls in place, um, or they won't give you insurance at all. If you had a previous incident, in most cases, they won't give you insurance at all, okay? <laughs> so, and if you can't prove that you're maintaining um, this um, proper preventative controls, then if you were to have an incident, 
then they're going to come in and audit you and look and see, oh, well, this is your fault because you didn't patch the system or you weren't using multi-factor authentication or whatever. So mm -hmm. then you don't get paid out for the incident. So now that industry has matured. So I think of it, and this, this just really hammers at home for me. Um, I was born in the 70s. And when I came home from the hospital and scares you know, me to death, my mom was not wearing a seatbelt because it wasn't the law. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And I was not in a car seat, right? And so if we got hit going down the freeway from the hospital, I would have blown out the window probably. Okay. And so you think about preventative controls in vehicles over the last 50 years, seat belts, right? Um, car seats, anti-lock brakes, right? All these things are preventative controls that we put in place. And the likelihood of you dying from a car accident have significantly decreased. But in cybersecurity, we don't do preventive controls. We only detect and respond. So imagine in your car, you have an alert that goes off to mean you get into an accident, but you're already dead. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the alert is. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Uh, Corey, that was, it's been a, a pleasure talking with you. Um, I've learned a lot about the, you know, cybersecurity and, and what Cyvatar does and, and, you know, the multi-factor authentication is, is, you know, I encounter it almost every day if I'm trying to do something and that company says, I'm going to send you a text message. So yes. I, you know, it gets annoying, but I understand it completely and I appreciate it. Um, if our listeners or viewers wanted to get a hold of you, how, how do you want them to do that? Yes, um, a few ways. Um, definitely hit me up on LinkedIn, um, um, uh, Corey D. White under uh, Savitar, um, or you can go to our website at, at savitar.ai, and it, it's cyber plus avatar, so C-Y-V-A-T-A-R dot A-I. Um, and what's great is that we offer free cybersecurity risk assessments, free external scanning. So our mantra is we don't charge you to tell you what is wrong. We charge you to fix the problem for you, right? So if you're out there and you're paying somebody a lot of money to tell you that you don't have multi-factor, you don't have endpoint protection, or you haven't patched these systems, then I think you're throwing your money away. You really should be paying somebody to fix your problems because it's a no-brainer what your issues yeah. are. Yep. You fix it. So, so that's what we offer. Again, the freemium is a good way to get started, to get secure, and then stay secure. Okay, cool. Well, Corey, it was a pleasure talking with you. Hopefully, we can have another conversation here in the future, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. So thanks, for, thanks again for your time. Thank you. It was an honor to be on. Thank you. Okay.